0: Let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable, be responsive in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I wonder if you struggle with church as it currently is, I wonder if you feel disgruntled about how things are done nowadays, I wonder if you compare our current state as a congregation or as a national church, even the state of our country, to what it used to be. For some of us, we may have vivid memories of Sunday school numbers in their hundreds, or of the singular focus on a Sunday being church and family life, and maybe you compare what we have nowadays to that time and you may struggle with the comparison. It may grieve you and maybe even provoke you to think that what we have now is nothing compared to what once was. You may assume that such things are only felt by older generations, and so you may begin to assume that maybe this message is going to be aimed at you, but neither is true. Feelings of dissatisfaction, even disillusionment with our present experience of church, are not limited to older generations. Those who are younger may may not look back to the glory days of a particular congregation, even the glory days of a denomination or country, but they may look back to moments when God moved in power in a particular place, or even their own lives. Those moments when God seemed much closer, much nearer, much more active than he does in today's What's more, there can be the tendency across the generations to hark back even further still to the early church in the first century and to yearn, really yearn for those days when the faith was new and the spirit moved in power and the growth and vibrancy of of Christianity turned the whole empire upside down. Dissatisfaction and disillusionment are not limited to any one generation, we can all feel it at one time or another. You may even have felt your despondency and pessimism increase another notch in recent weeks with the recently proposed Presbytery Plan, where it is proposed to reduce the number of ministers in the Braes area. Maybe that news provoked you to think that we are simply managing decline and that the future of the church in this area is doomed with such a trajectory. In every age, across all generations spanning thousands of, thousands of years, God's people have had times and seasons where dissatisfaction and disillusionment rise up. In what we read in Haggai today, we see those very same feelings. God's people had returned from exile in Babylonia some 20 years before Haggai began his ministry. A small fraction of the total Jewish community had returned and begun the reconstruction work. But strong opposition from neighboring people soon brought the work to a standstill. And so in the year 520 BC roughly, Haggai is called by the Lord to bring a prophetic message to God's people, coming firstly with a word of challenge to the people, which we read about in Haggai 1 last week and which Ian superbly covered in my stead. I did listen to the sermon on Sunday night. We heard that the people did respond to the Lord's challenge and they began the work on the temple but now a second prophetic word is brought from Haggai within weeks of the first message, but it has a different tone. We read earlier today, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? We can guess that during the intervening weeks, efforts were concentrated on clearing the site of rubble, redressing stone, testing the walls for safety, and organizing teams of workmen. Such preparations on a 60-year-old ruin without any mechanical aid would tax the endurance of, of anyone, even the most enthusiastic people. So no wonder there was a degree of frustration but there was another factor. Progress would have been delayed in the seventh month because of all the major festivals on which no work could be done. In addition to Sabbath days, the first day of the seventh month was the Feast of Trumpets, the tenth day the Day of Atonement, then on the fifteenth day the Feast of Tabernacles began for a week. I mean, come on, how are you going to get anything done with all that happening? How could anyone really turn their hand to the work and make progress. And so, pessimism once again begins to rise up amongst God's people as they become overwhelmed by external circumstances and their, their internal desires. For indeed there was a small proportion of the remnant who, who remembered that first temple built in the days of King Solomon, a magnificent structure full of glory and material decoration and at one time full of the glory of the Lord in the dwelling, the most holy place. Some could still remember the structure which had been destroyed some 60 or 70 years earlier and compared to it, what they saw before them now was pathetic in their eyes. It was nothing and so maybe the people began to question, were we really called? To return from exile? Maybe we should have just stayed in, in Babylon and enjoyed the good life. Maybe they began to question, did, were we really called to rebuild the temple when all we have is this heap of rocks? Maybe we should just give up. Maybe our leaders are deluded or on an ego trip. Maybe it's better to cut our losses, downsize our dreams and mothball any sense of calling to this. And into into that situation, God sends Haggai once again, not with a message of challenge, but with a word of encouragement, of exhortation, and the Lord gives two specific encouragements so that his people persevere in their calling. Firstly, the people are exhorted to find strength in the Lord's presence. We read today, but now be strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord, Be strong, Joshua, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Be strong and work, for my spirit remains among you. In one form or another, this promise arises about 50 times across the whole of the Old and New Testament. For example, in Exodus, we read, let them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Or in the words of Jesus to the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age or in the experience of the New Testament church, as we read today, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you. Each time the Lord placed a calling upon His people and He promised to be with them. What is also striking when you dig into it is the similarity of the words in Haggai to what is said to an earlier Joshua in the history of Israel, a Joshua who also led God's people in equally challenging times. In the book of Joshua, chapter 1, we read this. After the death of Moses, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. On both occasions. Separated by hundreds of years, we find a Joshua leading the people and into both situations God speaks a word of encouragement to strengthen them for the calling upon their lives. Now the word of encouragement that gave strength was similar in both contexts. Joshua 1, be strong, for the Lord your God will be with you, In Haggai 2, be strong for I am with you my spirit remains among you in both periods it was a crucial encouragement for in one Moses had just died he was their leader he was the one who had been used by God to bring them out of slavery in Egypt and the people probably began to wonder is God still going to be with us? In Haggai's time the people had returned from exile but after 20 years, little had been accomplished with regard to the temple and maybe they too wondered, is God with us? Does He want this calling fulfilled? Has He given up on us? And into both situations God speaks His words of encouragement, I am with you, I am among you press on. At both times the people of God needed to persevere in the calling upon their lives, and to do so they had to be strong, strong of conviction, strong of hope, strong in faith that the Lord would come through for them, strong in faith that the Lord would work through them to accomplish His purposes. But to find and keep that strength, they needed to know and have the presence of God in their midst. Only that would allow them to shake off disillusionment and dissatisfaction by turning their focus upon the Lord. For then they would find new vigor for the calling upon their lives. I wonder, friends. Is that what we maybe need at our, in our time? In the midst of our dissatisfaction and our disillusionment, do we need to pursue the Lord Himself? In whatever way we may be feeling despondent and pessimistic, whether it be in comparing things to how they once were, or frustrations with the present, or what the future might look like in the breeze area do you need to seek the Lord's face and presence? Because, I, as I emphasized in our last series in the latter weeks, we have God's Spirit in even greater ways than they did in Haggai's day. Back then they relied on prophets and leaders, for it was only key people who had the Spirit of God upon them, but in this age, through all that Jesus has won for us, every person here who calls himself a Christian is a temple of the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God living within you, and so any Christian can seek and know the Lord's presence in greater and more intimate ways than those to whom Haggai spoke. Friends, I, I could tell you stories stories probably for days and you get bored of the instances where this has been the case in my life. Even just last week in my own devotions, God gave words of encouragement in the times I spent with Him to sustain me in the call upon my life. And key for me, for indeed for any of us, is time in the Bible, it is God's principal way of of speaking to us. We need to be in the Word so that we can hear God's words of encouragement, strength and affirmation. For it's in the real, dynamic, up close presence of the Lord that we find strength not to crack up under the demands upon us, or to give in to the worries that assail us, or to turn bitter and judgmental in our present time in our dissatisfaction and disillusionment, will we heed the encouragement of the Lord to draw near to Him, to know Him close and speaking to us? If you're not sure how to go about that then one idea would be to go and listen to the sermon from the 17th of March this year, you can download it on our website but if that would be problematic for you then speak to Alan McFarlane, he will get you a recording of it on CD. For in that we gave some ideas about how to do this and alongside the sermon on the website there are resources to download and use and read and again if you couldn't get those we will print them for you, you just have to tell us. Equally, you could join a fellowship group. You could get a copy of the daily reading notes from Jesse who will be in the front foyer I believe, give me a nod or a shake, yes grand sister, you could pick one up today and get started and see what the Lord might say to you in these coming months or come along to any one of our many prayer times. We have loads of options here for how you can make this very practical, but let us seek the Lord one way or another for He is with us, and in His presence we find strength to persevere in our calling. Now, the Lord also gave a second exhortation to the people of Haggai's time, for He said, Do not fear, for in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, and in this place I will grant peace. In this portion of prophecy, the people are exhorted exhorted to overcome fear. They are exhorted to find courage by trusting in the Lord's promises they are to trust that God will move in power and accomplish the calling he has laid upon his people the fear that they would have felt would have been as a small remnant of the Jewish people where that star is being surrounded by nations much larger than them. the red area is the Persian empire which dwarfs them but also the stronger provinces which would have been nearby They were weak and twenty years before they had felt fear in their return from exile and once again fear is beginning to rise up among them. And understandably so, we might say, for they've been called to rebuild the temple, there's opposition against them still, they have no idea where the resources are going to come from and as we read last week in Haggai 1, the harvest has been poor, so where are they going to get the money? For the elaborate decoration that the temple demands. Where are they going to get what they need? And so into this situation comes the word of God, a word exhorting them to have courage by trusting in the Lord's promises. He promises once more to shake the heavens and the earth and indeed to shake all nations. Now, the reference here to once more is meant to jolt their memory back to other times when the Lord caused shaking upon the land and among the nations. In particular, we read in the book of Exodus, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire and the whole mountain trembled violently. Here, the land shook because of the presence of the Lord. As for the shaking of nations, the exodus of God's people from Egypt shook that nation to its core, as the psalmist recalls for us in Psalm 114. And so, God makes a promise in Haggai's day to shake the cosmos and the nations again, and what is desired by all nations will come, i.e. treasure, wealth, and so financial material provision will be made for the calling upon God's people to rebuild the temple. Indeed, if we go into the book of Ezra, where we read of the wider story and, and what is happening amongst and through the people, then we'll soon see that after this prophecy, God does meet their financial needs. If you go and read chapter 6 of the book of Ezra afterwards, you can read there that the very opponents of God's people, the opponents who wanted to bring that work to a halt, well, they were the ones who were ordered by the emperor to pay the cost of the temple repairs in full. But first, the people had to respond in faith. They had to trust in the Lord's promises, they had to carry on the work, they had to refute claims and say, no we have been called to this and the Lord is on our side. And then that courage arose and they overcame fear and the work continued. They could have held back, they could have played it safe but instead they responded in faith. And with that, the doors began to open, the resources were provided, and God's purposes for this time were fulfilled. We might be tempted to spiritualize these material elements of Haggai's prophecy, but the Lord did promise to provide his people with the material resources for the building of his kingdom purposes. His provision is simply a sign of his sovereignty over these resources as creator and sustainer of the cosmos. And the same is true for the church. This same sovereign God promises to provide the resources for kingdom work in material as well as spiritual ways. And this is not prosperity gospel the church as the place of God's presence today as his present temple needs material resources to carry out the great commission given to us by Jesus and God does promise to provide those resources go look at Philippians 4 the latter verses go look at Matthew 6. We have a good heavenly father And it's His mission we participate in. This is not our own doing and indeed you are proof of this. Every one of you is proof of this because in this year your giving has confirmed these promises. God has more than given us the resources we need as a congregation because our level of income has gone up significantly. The question has always been whether we would be open handed with it, whether we would give sacrificially. And thankfully, we have. We have responded to God's sovereign provision in our lives. He has made it available amongst us. And instead of keeping it to ourselves, we responded with generosity towards His kingdom work. You are living proof that God meets the needs of His people. But let us take the, the principle of these verses beyond material provision, and let me ask you this, friends, what are the promises we are clinging to by faith for our present time? As we face potentially radical changes in how we do church in the Brains area, As we compare church as it was to what it is now, what are the promises of God that we are clinging to? For we need those promises. We need to cling to them because it can be tempting, especially in hard times, especially in times of dissatisfaction and disillusionment, to play it safe and to bunker down. But to live in step with the God of Haggai is to place ourselves in the dangerous position of trusting in God's promises, it is placing ourselves in the dangerous position of grasping the hand of our Creator and and Redeemer and saying, lead on, even if it means walking into the unknown with Him. Truly, that's the call of of Haggai. Personally, I find some of these verses of Jesus helpful. I will build my church, says Jesus, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He'll build it. It's not on my shoulders. Or what about the verse that Jesus says to the disciples, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. God used Haggai to call a generation to experience God in the present, not only in similar ways to the past, but in ways that would dwarf the past. And that is akin to what Jesus meant when he said, you will do even greater things than these. We often see the past as setting up patterns that are insurmountable. But what if Haggai encourages us to see the past as only setting precedents? That can provide a springboard to even greater miracles. To a people who were st- wavering, laid low with dissatisfaction and disillusionment, the encouragement of God through Haggai is to persevere in your calling by finding strength in the Lord's presence and courage in the, pres- in the Lord's promises. I pray that we may be such a people as well, a people who resolve to seek and to trust the Lord always. May it be so. Amen.